0: Hey Blenders, on this week's episode we break down the Godzilla vs. Kong trailer, we talk about the new live-action Harry Potter series, and The Little Things writer-director John Lee Hancock joins us as
1: our guest.
0: Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 151 of Real Blend, a podcast that doesn't understand why Kong and Godzilla can't just get together, talk out their differences, maybe hug it out, right? Like, I want to see that movie on HBO Sean, you
3: should be the first person to make a Mothra joke. Jesus. A Martha Mothra joke. You would be the first person.
4: (laughs) I also (laughs) want to know why our episode of 151 is not sponsored by Bacardi. That's a nice opportunity. It is for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, On this week's episode, the new live-action Harry Potter series on HBO Max, Uh, we are going to discuss the little things, and in order to do that, we have director John Lee Hancock joining us as a guest, and by us, I mean myself, Sean O'Connell, the managing editor at Cinema Blend, joined, as always, by Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kev.
4: Sean, Jacob, Gabriel, good to see you guys. Uh,
0: Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago, sporting the Real Blend merch. My dad well, that's it's actually exclusive yeah. Real Blood yeah. merch. That's uh, that's only for <laughs> this. This is literally a
3: members-only jacket.
0: Yes, exactly. And uh, producer Gabe as well weighing in. Hi, Gabe. How are you?
3: Hello, hello, boys
0: uh let's see housekeeping so in order to see jake's jacket you have to be watching us on the youtube channel and if you're watching us there hello uh hopefully you've liked and subscribed to the channel and help us grow if you're listening to us where you get your podcast needs met because you found an interview that we've done or stumbled upon us somehow uh please go over and uh, to the description and figure out how you can also go over to watch us do this live. A lot of times with our guests, they're letting us record video. John Lee Hancock is one of those guys. And he tells some really great stories about working with the cast of The Little Things. And putting together a uh, a thriller. And then, of course, bringing something to HBO Max. If you would like an ad-free version of this show. And also just some additional weekly episode content. Uh, make sure that you sign up for Real Blend Premium. In order to sign up for Real Blend Premium, you want to go to bit.ly backslash real blend premium, or check the description below uh, for more details. Uh, Let's get right into the show because we've got a lot of stuff we want to cover and including we're going to play Denzel Washington blend at the end of this episode, but I want to start with the weekly poll. So right after we recorded the episode, as is normally the case, a lot of big news happened in terms of some major films moving. Um, I don't even remember what they are at this point. Now, Bond was definitely one of them. Yeah. Uh Quiet Place part two shifted back. Um, a few of them stayed in place. And so we did the weekly poll and I put in uh, the first blockbuster that we will get to see in theaters safely is going to be Jake. This one's going to you black widow in may top gun two in July quiet place two in September or something even later than that.
3: You're talking about a movie that, collectively not like some markets and not others that collectively we can all go see because in theory like godzilla versus kong is coming to theaters in march
0: yes i'm saying like this even under the the situation of you're in a theater and you're still socially distanced but the 18 screens at your megaplex has black widow on 18 screens and the majority of people are able to go do you think that situation is going to be May, July, September, or later?
3: I'm going to be optimistic, and I'm going to say May. Ooh,
0: Black Widow in May. Yeah, huh?
3: I'm going to say Black Widow in May. Um, it just it feels like, and maybe it's just because I live in a city that is in a transition period right now. Um, okay. Theaters in Chicago are opening up. Um, restaurants are now open at a 25% capacity where you could sit inside. And so there is just this feeling of like, oh, like maybe things are getting a little bit better. Okay. Um, you know, as people are slowly starting to get the vaccine. Uh, so I'd like to think, you know, it's, it's not even February yet. So if if this is where we are now, I'd like to think that my maybe by, by May that, uh, you know, and they haven't made the Disney Plus announcement yet, which is what we keep expecting to hear.
0: No, they haven't. In fact, it was interesting that when, you know, things started moving back, Black Widow did not shift uh, Mm -hmm. back out of its slot. Kev, before I give the results, where are you on this? What are you you thinking?
4: Yeah, I I think uh, the optimism side of it, like Jake said with May, I I just, it's so interesting. Like like the more I think about it, I I was watching like footage of old concerts this weekend and things like that. I just, I can't imagine that is going to be sometime soon it's 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 too to be honest with you so the question you're asking is what do our listeners think yes and i'm gonna i'm gonna assume that they went with the fourth option because i just only i'm i'm concerned about that like and and if you're talking about like we're back in theaters like we used to be kind of thing right oh yeah Um, if we're we're
3: talking i mean that's the thing is like it sort of depends on on like you know define back in theaters safely
0: you yeah. know what I was legitimately surprised at though was watching and I know both of you guys watched them too the NFL football games the playoff mm-hmm. games. Yeah. Um, Green Bay had a ton of people yeah. there.
4: Yeah. I like, watched the UFC in. Yeah, I watched the UFC fight this weekend and they had like a couple thousand people in in the the Conor McGregor fight. They had like a couple thousand people in the uh so yeah. to that point you just made maybe that's maybe that is a good example of us going towards that.
0: Well, to get to the weekly poll, uh you're right. 31% of the people said something later. But this was a really balanced response um, because 28% said Top Gun in July, 22% said Quiet Place in September, and 18% said Black Widow. So all four choices got a ton of responses and um, from all the people that voted. So thank you for everybody who participated. In Where our are point, you, it, Sean? I think Top Gun. Um, Is
3: Tom Cruise going to save cinema?
0: Well...
1: I should don't should, think. Are, are we gonna
3: start that
0: narrative again? He he absolutely will not allow it to go to home video. Well,
3: yeah. Well, they they mm. Paramount had like potential buyers, right? They had people trying to buy it. And the way like and they Gabe said no,
0: out, they have a streaming service. Yeah, yeah aren't, so. they, aren't they?
3: Aren't?
5: Is it Peacock or whatever? Aren't they becoming Paramount Plus or something like no, that? No, CBS
4: yeah. All Access is becoming CBS All Access. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah yes. Yeah. Paramount so created their own st- service, right? Essentially, their but I, own. Like, but I think
5: it's all becoming yeah. one. I think they're starting to wow. put those I, together. Every major soon.
0: studio kind of needs one. You know, yeah. it's yeah. a little yeah. bit at this point where, in order to get some of your stuff out there, but Cruz won't. Tom Cruise won't let that happen. No. Uh, no, on Top Gun. I don't even know if Marvel. Like, I don't know if Marvel's ever going to let anything go to Disney Plus. I don't you, think you so.
4: Can't, you can't let Black Widow go to Disney Plus because th- I, I think there's too many legal and back end things and like, I, 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 maybe I'm wrong, but like, you know, with the no time to die thing moving to October 8th, I just commend film studios like that because I really wa- I really love that they're keeping the theatrical experience as the most important part of it. And like, I feel like yeah. it's easy, it will be easy to say, all right, head over to HBO max. We'll sell it for 200 million. Um, yep. or, and, th- and that's it. So I think it's interesting, but I genuinely, um, I, I don't, I can't see black, I can't see a movie of that magnitude going to streaming and also right. isn't I mean, there a feeling of like soul, we've come right this you know? far like like we've come this far like let's like you
3: know we, we, let's, we let's just wait a little bit longer like like mm-hmm. we, we've done it like we've waited a year like what what is a yeah. couple of more months by this yeah. point yeah.
0: well you brought up an interesting point about the films uh in that warner brothers HBO max deal having a theatrical component where it's safer you talk about chicago theaters opening theaters are still open by me as well too i feel that um, when Godzilla vs. King Kong opens. I'm going to want to go see that on a big screen. Sure. Uh, we will talk about the uh, trailer on the other side of this, but one of the directors who's dealing with this right now with his film going to both is John Lee Hancock, uh, who has a thriller coming to HBO Max and theaters called The Little Things, starring Denzel Washington, uh, Jared Leto, and Rami Malek. And so uh, we got him on the show and got to talk to him about putting this movie together. So... Without further ado, uh, the Real Blend interview with uh, the Little Things director, uh, writer, director John Lee Hancock. Fair enough,
3: fair enough. Well, we are a uh, our, our podcast is called Real Blend. The three of us, we've been best friends for a long time, and we're um, really a, a filmmaking uh, focused podcast. Really, kind of a lot of times because we also do television uh, as well. But with television, you can't often kind of get into the weeds about sort of the technicalities of filmmaking, and a lot of times we like to do that, with our, which is why we created sort of sort of created this podcast to be able to do what we normally can't do with the TV junkets
2: yeah know i've listened to your podcast i think it's fantastic so oh amazing well, thank well, you well, oh, well, 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 wow that's, that's awesome, awesome thank
0: you <laughs> and you were actually we did a, um, a Twitter takeover too for one of the director series for Warner Brothers we were texting at the same time so it was very fun oh, interact with right. that way that's right yeah that's right so um, alright well we're gonna dive right in and part of the show um, I will throw it to the interview and so we'll just we'll dive right into it right here um, as someone who loves reading uh, detective novels and I often find like a detective who I enjoy and read them from story to story but I'm always fascinated about this when you're writing a type of uh, detective story and this one in particular which one breaks first for you is it the is it the tech the detectives uh is it the the criminal or is it the case that that you really
2: established first oh gosh I, I with this one it was kind of it was kind of all of the all of the above i wanted long story short what i was what i set out to do i believe since it was 28 years ago that i wrote it so i can't be absolutely certain <laughs> um, but uh there were um i was I, I love i love films about crime dramas uh, i love psychological thrillers but i kind of felt like they had become a bit paint by numbers and mm. that um you know you would you would be exciting at the start and there would be clues and misdirects and you're trying to figure out who's doing these things and it's it's shady and noirish and all those those great things uh, all the way until you got to the third act when the bad guy was identified and then the good guy would chase him. And there'd usually be like a, a you know, a, a standard uh, action set piece. And then they would go to each other with guns or something else. And the, the the good guy would vanquish the bad guy in a heroic way. And that was great and formulaic for a while, but I felt like it was getting tired. And so I I wanted to do something where, you could embrace the genre and subvert the genre and finish in a non-formulaic way where things unravel instead of build to a suspected climax and still be satisfying. Um, and so back to your question, you start with, and, and again, embracing the genre in terms of detectives and uh, you know, there's a killer and uh, here are the clues. And so that people feel like, hopefully the viewer feels like, this is familiar territory, but satisfying familiar territory. And then, as we move along, you realize it's not really about that at all.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, John, you mentioned uh, the the bad guy, and I got to tell you, I. Could not take my eyes off of Jared the second he appeared on the screen. And and obviously, just because of of all the promotions and stuff, I knew that he was in it. I was familiar kind of at least with the idea of the the role that I thought he was going to be playing. So I kept waiting on him to show up. And it's a a solid hour or so before we ever actually see him. It almost reminded me of like the shark in Jaws. Like you're waiting for it, but you don't see him. I'm just sort of curious uh, on your decision to wait so long to kind of tantalize us with the prospect of, of, of showing him. And would you, you was it hard
2: for you to not even bring him in sooner? Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I mean, on the one hand, Jared's, everybody's fantastic in the movie, but Jared is so outside the box and gives a different, uh, certainly a different flavor to the movie. Once he arrives on scene that, you know, uh, you know, Jared. You know, Jared. At one point in post, when I was doing my director's cut, texted me and said, "Don't let me ruin your movie. Anything I'm not good in, just cut that scene." And I said, "I wow. wish I had more scenes, Jared. I mean, <laughs> um, and we even thought about adding one more that we could introduce him a tad earlier. But then looking at it, I thought, I, I don't know. I think it may be." it maybe makes him more memorable. The fact that you wait for him, it's not formulaic and traditional, like the end of the first act, here's this guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I said, it's a movie. It's about, it's, it, it has different aims than that, than that formula. John, a little bit to the, Oh, I'm sorry. Keep going. No, no. Man, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, everything, every, there's not a scene that Jared shot that's cut. Uh, was
0: there a little bit to that end, um, any conversation about keeping him out of the marketing? Um, so that when you first do sort of see him, you think like, wait a second, is that Jared Leto? <laughs> like, is Jared Leto
2: in this movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, we yeah. wanted to keep him out, you know, as as much as we could for a while um, because I think he, he you know, he is, he is gr- always great but su- surprising in this movie, I think, in, a, in an outside-the-box way. And also it goes to, when we first started talking about, I mean, I spent a lot of time in prep with all three actors, but I had uh, Denzel and Rami together a lot with me in a room, just talking about scenes, talking about scenes. And you know, as Denzel always said, which is you know has become my mantra: the universal comes from the specific. And so, talking about the little things, the little tiny details about the characters that build and build and build until you've got a you know a, a complex, fully formed character. Jared had asked me, um, "Is it? What do you think about me not?" being in a room with you guys. And mm. I said, I'm, "I'm, I'm fine with that. And he said, I'll, I'll do whatever you want, but it seems it might be interesting for us to come across each other in character. Mm. And I thought, well, that is interesting. So I talked to Denzel and Rami about it and they said they really liked the idea too. So That's the awesome. car court scene, the very first time we see Jared, um, it is Joe Deacon and Albert Sparma, mm. you know, it is. There's no like, hey, how you doing? Uh, how are we going to do this? It was very simple blocking and I didn't look wow. to, to see each other. And that's so the first, awesome. time, the first time Denzel shines the flashlight, he's looking at Albert Sparman, not Jared Leto.
4: Oh, wow. wow. that's awesome. That's, that's really, really cool. <laughs> that's really cool. like that. And it's so <laughs> funny because cool. you, you hear stories about Jared Leto's uh, technique and kind of how he plays with roles like that. And that's that sounds... Like amazing, I love that he goes into the detail with that. I was actually my my big question for you is how's your trunk space in your vehicles uh, in your own personal vehicles? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I love that little beat, that that, that little turnaround bit. Um, but one thing I'm actually genuinely interested in asking you um, is about the little things. Um, and there's little details that are given throughout the characters throughout the film, specifically like just the little things that Jared says about pineapples and jalapenos and like the the potato skins at that bar. Like you know that gives you information as to who that person is. So I. Want I wonder from your side of things as a director, what are little things that are very impactful on you as a storyteller that people would be amazed to know? Like this little detail is such a big impact on the way I do my movies.
2: It's a great question. First, I'm gonna talk about Jared. That, that line, he had, we had something else written and he came in with like three other choices. And I said, just try them all. And it stuck. And it was so huh. odd to people that I just I fell in I fell in love with it. But he's also Jared and I talked about a lot. Let's make every kind of throwaway line um, for Albert food related.
4: <laughs> because <laughs> we were, it we we're talking speaks about this. To him. Yeah, like yeah. that, that, that it gave so much information
2: about the character. It really does. It speaks to him. And it also speaks to it's a clue in that we know this is a guy, whoever the killer is, who has come back and brought food and Dined, you know, dined with a person maybe dead, maybe already dead, maybe not. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, that that kind of stuff all folds in together. But for me, um, yeah, it started with the script in in terms of coming up with a list of things that would point to guilt and equal number of things that would point to innocence. So that Mm. coming out of the theater, if somebody said, yeah, but there's that. And the guy goes, yeah, but they said this, you know, Um, he knew all about this. He's a crime junkie. Did you, did you release that uh, to the press? No, we didn't, it went out on the scanner. Oh, he has a scanner. So, you know, there's all that and we tried to keep, or I tried to keep the exact same number of this way and that way. Oh, uh, wow. In the script. So, oh, that, there's, there's those details. But yeah, I mean, again, you know, Denzel saying the universal comes from the specific. It's really keeping an eye on small moments. And this is a movie where there, it's a lot of behavior. Um, there is some talking, don't get me wrong, but, uh, there's a whole lot of quiet too. And yeah. I think when you cast actors like these guys, the quiet becomes almost more interesting than when they're talking.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, I'm, I love the relationship between, uh, the new agent, the younger detective, um, and wants to do it a certain way, very specific. Uh, but when he gets the grizzled mentor, he can't, you know, ignore the fact that this guy's seen a lot and he wants to sort of tap his, his intelligence and keep him around a little bit. Um, I want to flip that to the filmmaking side. Like when you take on a movie, clearly you want to do it your way, you know, and you're, you're the top dog at that point. But did you have a filmmaking mentor uh, early on that you were able to sort of keep around or ask a lot of questions and say like, okay, how did this go for you?
2: I I don't know that he would consider himself a mentor to me, but he was, whether he knows it or not. And that's Clint Eastwood. I
0: mean, when,
2: (laughs) when I wrote the perfect world, he was not fond of having writers on the set because he felt like that they got really particular about they said these two words wrong or this was changed or whatever. And it would slow things down. And as we know, Clint runs very fast. Right. Yeah. One take. <laughs> yeah. But we got yeah. along really well. And I asked him, I said, because someday I'd love to direct. And I just want to I just want to be there fly on the wall. And and, uh, you know, there wasn't going to be room for. A whole bunch of rewrites because clint's the guy who goes look I, I signed on for this script i love it and that's not the same mm-hmm. little tiny things won't change along the way but this is the script we're making and it was a movie where the script was white white pages and as you know as you make changes they change colors yeah. and when we finished shooting it was still white well wow. <laughs> we didn't even you know you go through all these different colors <laughs> but we had stayed white um but clint allowed me to be on the set um and to be a fly on the wall and to observe how he worked with actors in the least um, the least aggressive way possible and he would just kind of let them find things and blocking and whatever and then you would go he would hone in on the stuff that he really really liked Um, and it, it was a great it was a it was a great lesson for you know for me coming from from the stage largely in terms of directing was like no do this and then you do this and then you come in and all that and it's so much better if the actors can come to it on their own um because the performances will just be better Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. so then yeah so i was on the set for midnight in the garden of good and evil as well and i learned a lot from clint wow
0: in my beloved savannah by the way which was one of my favorite places in the world to visit me too i had
2: had spent seven months living there i loved it oh it's so Mm -hmm. good
3: that's amazing. Um you know, this is obviously a genre that, that that all of us love, sort of the serial killer detective genre. And I'm sort of curious, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, what is the balance of sort of looking what's at some of what some of the great films in that genre have done and learning from them, but then also doing your own thing and not still ripping them off and having someone go, Well, that's that's Silence of the Lambs, or that's seven. Like so sort of, but learning but not stealing, I guess.
2: Yeah. Um it's weird because I'd seen, I mean, I hadn't, Seven hadn't come out yet when I read it. And I think mm-hmm. that maybe Silence came out like that year or something. Um, I had always been drawn to, you know, lots of these kinds of movies in the past. And, and some, you know, in some similarities, like yeah, you know, Touch of Evil shares a little bit with that. You know, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I took, you know, I would say from a palette standpoint, uh, we talked a lot, forgive the the uh, fire engine it's, it's very
3: atmospheric you. of the movie actually yeah. low-key uh promotion for the sequel yeah this the
2: slightly bigger things yeah yeah it sounds like <laughs> i'm in new york which is a lot sexier than pasadena california <laughs> <laughs> but uh but i think sometimes you want to you don't want to be too cute with something like look what i'm doing with this i'm taking it changing it um like i said you want to i mean there's a bit there's a bit of what Sean said about, you know, uh, the older cop and the younger cop, that's a trope of sorts. And I said, I'm fine with that because it's not going to end up that way. And little by little, you're going to understand this dark journey that these two men take joined at the hip. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's, you know, so, yeah, I don't I don't try to go. I'm not doing it like anybody else did it um, because certain parts of genre are, are really familiar in a good way. We go, oh, I like these kinds of movies. Yeah. yeah I'm down for this. Yep. So, um, but I was going to say that the, the, the movie from a palette standpoint that we looked at the most was The American Friend. Um, you know, wow. uh, yeah, Not yeah. 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 Patricia Highsmith, uh, uh, Hopper, uh, um, Bruno Gans. Um, it, it's a really good movie, uh, interesting movie. Not so much that, and it's neo noir kind of thing, and it's very uh, European, but uh, just from the the, the palette of embracing garish and beautiful at the same time. So uh, not being afraid to show kind of ugly neons and greens and blues. And also, um, you know in, in the case of Los Angeles, to show parts of Los Angeles that normally aren't shown in movies. And yet it's still very much Los Angeles, despite the fact that we don't show the Man's Chinese or Musso and Frank or um, Hollywood Bowl or any of those things this is this is an la that existed in ni- october 1990 uh specifically is what the movie says is when this takes place and it probably covers a week i mean it's a very short time period for this movie um but it was what i was seeing when i was living in a crappy hollywood apartment you know and of course now the the flop house that i always had in my mind is a whole foods so you know things <laughs> change <laughs> You know, John,
4: I'm I, I'm interested in just history of how films come together and you read a lot online. You don't know what's true and what's what's you know, what's not true. Um, so is it true initially that this was written for Spielberg in in the 90s? And I'm just interested to know, like what the timeline looked like. So you, the first draft's written, uh, Spielberg seemed to be uh, attached to it as a director. He passes apparently. Again, this is just what I've read. And then we're now we're now in twenty twenty one. Um, and I wonder what the timeline was.
2: I can give you, I can give you the brief timeline. Um, it was, I, uh, Steven really liked A Perfect World, my script. for it. And so before we ever went into production of A Perfect World, he came to me and said, let's do a blind picture deal. And you're, you know, you, you're set up at Warner Brothers that I had a three picture deal with Warner Brothers based on A Perfect World. And um, he said, let's just do it at Warner Brothers. You know, something for you to write and me to direct and we'll do it for Warner Brothers, fine. So we started pitching ideas back and forth I came upon that one, I can't remember exactly when, and fell in love with it in the twists and turns, and wrote a long outline, and then talked to him on the phone about it after he read it. And uh, I think I faxed him the outline, that's how, you know, that's <laughs> the technology, I had to find you put in page after page. But uh, he, he really liked it. He said, this is really, really good storytelling. He said, it's just too dark for me right now. I'm finishing Schindler's List. Um, I, I can't live in, that, in this dark world. Uh, you know, again, Wow, uh, and I understood that completely. Um, and so the next person, Clint was interested, really liked the script. It was interested for, you know, a very brief time, then came Warren Beatty, uh, and wow. Warren was interested in it. And so that led to many lunches with Warren talking about, it they were all awesome. Talking about everything, <laughs> from upbringing in Virginia to his fights with his sister when they were little kids to the little things, to the script, to talking about everything. And it was, it was oh great, but he has a, he has a very um, deliberate process, let's say. You mm-hmm. know, It takes a while. And it became obvious that he probably wasn't going to do it, but he did love talking about it a lot. And, <laughs> and I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. After that, Danny DeVito, at the time was directing a lot of, of movies, was interested in it, almost came together, and then wow. didn't. And it was like every two years or so, Mark Johnson, who's been the producer on it forever since the start, would call and say, "Are you, you know, you know, this person's interested?" And we'd have a meeting with them or whatever, and it wouldn't wouldn't make. Um, studios at the time were still, um, you know, their their com- their comment back then was, "If you'll change the ending and make it more formulaic, we'll make the movie." And I said, "Wow, I can't I can't do that. That's why I wrote the movie." yeah um so then when i started directing mark johnson would come to me every couple of years and say what about the little things what about the little things and i had little children at the time they were born in 2000 when i was when i was directed the rookie um and oh, rookie. i said this is a, i'm going back to steven's you know headspace i said this is a really dark place for me to live for two years which is what you know you end up spending and with i've got little kids around that's, that's not the best you know use of my uh of being a father to my kids if I'm, mm. I'm you know living in that dark place so then you know years pass years pass, years pass. mark keeps asking i keep deferring i haven't read it you know in 12 15 years or whatever my kids are in college and i've run out of excuses um mm. because they watch darker movies than this all the time um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, so I, I agreed to reread it and i opened it up dusted it off and was terrified because i thought am I gonna read something that's poorly written or that it has, mm. is, it, is, it, is it really really too snappy and clever, uh, but not good? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a little like you, you, know, you open your high school yearbook and look at the picture of yourself, mm. knowing where you are now. And there's a yeah. part of me that's, you, know, you look at that picture and you go, man, I see a lot of false confidence and fear, but I also mm. see some promise. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I, I opened the script to read it and I was kind of surprised that I really, really liked it. How did anything, now, how much changed from the 90s to now? Less than 10%. Wow. 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 I figured your, maybe your life experiences over three decades or so would yeah. it was, cause that. Yeah. It, it was, I mean, part of it was, uh, you know, yeah, you'd look at stuff and you go, well, this, this piece of dialogue here is, is a little clunky and it sounds like I'm showing off, so I'm going to bring that down. Um, or I don't have to, I mean, certain scenes I dropped out just because I said, I don't need this, but when you're writing for someone else to direct, sometimes you have to build more infrastructure and leave more, uh, breadcrumbs, I call them so that your intention with regard to the script is very, very clear. And then right. when the director gets it, then you can always back off that. But when you're, you know, when you're writing for yourself for, for yourself to direct, you, you don't need to leave those breadcrumbs, you know, you know, the infrastructure um so there was that um i also the main thing i took out was when i wrote this this is october 1990 pre dna so that's that's a big disadvantage for cops it's an advantage oh, wow. yeah an advantage for you know criminals um so this is pre dna pre cell phones um you know pre cctv it just made it harder on the cops which is why we kept the time period but uh Gosh, I forget where I was going with that.
0: Oh, the the element of the fingerprint. There's a good scene with a fingerprint. I won't give anything
2: away. Prints were yeah. important. Blood yeah. was important, but only because not for DNA, but because of type that you could yeah. say, well, this, oh, this person's a B, so that means this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but being pre-DNA made it really, really, uh, really, you know, hard for the cops, which is what I wanted because I wanted, and you know, and they had to have a payphone and they took a roll of quarters with them everywhere they went. Yeah. The yeah, scene where yeah. that
4: really really played out really well what you're just saying just now was the scene again spoiler alert uh, where a character gets in a car and goes with somebody and I can't text the person that he's with to tell them yeah. where he's going like that that's where the technology I was like oh cuz that cause that's where the time period yeah. really sets sets in really like you
2: can't do that yeah It's funny because I didn't want it to be something that screamed time period but I mean right. obviously cars are all period but I think when you see you know when you see somebody with a pager or yeah. you see nobody, you know, with cell phones looking at them walking around. Yeah. I mean, obviously the your clothing's changed slightly, maybe. Um, but when you see when you see Rami go to a payphone, you go, "What is?" I mean, you know, kids today look at it and go, "What is that?" <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> stuck on the on the sidewalk. Yeah, they did. <laughs> uh, John, I want you to be able to gush a little bit because
0: you know, going into this film, uh, it it struck me in the first 15 20 minutes it's unlike anything that i've seen you do before um and but from a technical standpoint you you set the mood and you set the tone and you really dial into what i love about these films with just your lighting your lighting is really specific and extremely well done you know even just to use as an example the flashlight scene that you mentioned oh, earlier yes. Um, and, and then your use of colors, your use of green in certain areas. And can you just gush about your lighting and, and the way that you use it to set mood, to set atmosphere in this? Because I thought it was fantastic.
2: Oh, well, th- thank you. Thank you. I mean, um, I'll gush about John Schwartzman. Um, okay. and his, his whole team, because he, we've, we've done many movies together and we always, you know, come up with a palette and talk about how we wanted to light it. And just embracing kind of the lights that the light that is there and not over lighting. Um, and making it you know, pools of light and things like that. And sometimes that can become an artifice that you lean into and you go, now it feels like you're trying to do noir. And we didn't want that. We wanted it to be more kind of real. And that's why we, we embraced you know, hot overhead sunlight for the, bake, the baked ground they were on at times. Um, we just said, that's what it is. I don't care yeah. that, it, that it, it puts weird shadows on the face. Um, we know, you know, we know it's Joe Deacon there with that flashlight. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I remember when we were shooting the scene, we laid it out and we're shooting a wide and John and had like a little light just so we could have some in there from coming from somewhere. And when Denzel and again, because they didn't, they hadn't, we didn't really block it. uh, Denzel knew that he was checking out and had a flashlight and somebody was gonna ask him a question, he was going to turn, they were going to do the scene, right. And he turns and puts it right in his face. Hmm. And, you know, and then, you know, then and, and Jared, who's great, because he's just going to react to behavior, too. He's like, I'm not going to tell him I can't see him because I think it's maybe good that I can't see him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to put my hands up. And it's fantastic and not going to worry about it. And then John came to me and he goes, kill that kill that light. Denzel's lighting Jared for us with the flat. Oh, nice. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, but, but yeah, we, we looked at America, the American friend uh, a lot in terms of that and didn't didn't overlight it and just embrace kind of the, 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 the dimness and the darkness and, uh, and all that. I mean, there's a lot of night work in this. Um, so yeah. you know, street lights and things, and there are certain places where you'll add some, some deep fill so that it has, you know, you're, you're looking at three tiers of, of, of viewing, if you will. Um, but yeah, John's really, really fast, really, really good. Um, and we worked together well, Hmm.
4: John, uh, one thing I'll ask you is, uh, character decisions, uh, going back to the idea of little things. Uh, there's a moment early on in the film when Rami Malek is just standing there without a suit jacket on and wearing a suit shirt, and he has his hands under his arms like this, and he's just standing there, and I, and I, I always, like, those are just little things and details that I wonder how they come about. Does, does Rami choose to hold his hands like that? Do you tell him to do that? What, what, from your perspective, what does that mean for the character?
2: I, I mean, it's behavior and 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 it is is everything for me. So yeah. I'm watching that—the way they walk, the way they lean, the way they talk—and and 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 inviting them to bring everything to their own process, and then see what I think about it. And usually, it's something like um, I and I loved when he did that. I mean, and there was yeah. I would go, we're not there yet. This is a journey, and and Rami has the longest journey. I mean, Jim Baxter is very different at the end of the movie from. From the start of the movie. He has the biggest longest journey. So it was like from a behavior standpoint, checking where are we on the journey. And, um, and at the at the very start, he's, he's closed off. I mean, he is mm-hmm. by the book, he is buttoned up, he is wound tight, and there's a lot of pressure on him. So I think that kind of stance and behavior is good. I mean, whereas something else you could go if he were leaning back with his hands in his pockets, that's more casual. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, the attention to detail isn't being paid. So, Rami and I would talk a lot about that stuff and, you know, and, and with the other actors as well, just watching behavior, fine tuning behavior. And, and by, by the way, actors like this, it doesn't take very long. We go through prep and we're talking about absolutely everything. And even though I created these characters from whole cloth, there comes a time when they know more about the character than I do. And that is a day for celebration for me because then they can tell me. Now, my job, a lot of times the director's job, one of the jobs is the to tone police, to keep everything going the way it should be. That doesn't mean they're making a wrong move because any of these actors, anything they did was in character. It was correct. It's just sometimes you come to them and say, this is absolutely, that is absolutely Jim Baxter, but you're playing Wednesday and I want to play Tuesday. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. well, that's a great all those piece little of little things
4: came across. Yeah, I mean, they really did. I was like sitting there, like I wrote down when I was watching the movie, I'm like oh, he has his arms and it did speak to exactly what you just said. So those little details do come across. We want to say thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, it was an honor to have you on our show. We uh, we love just talking filmmaking with you and take, thank you for taking us through the journey of the film and kind of people don't realize how many decades some of these movies are in works. It's pretty mm-hmm. pretty wild, so. It's crazy. It's a long time
0: uh thank you very much to warner brothers for allowing john lee hancock to come on to the show make sure you guys check out the little things uh either on hbo max or in theaters if theaters are open near you and you feel uh comfortable enough going to see it on the big screen uh let's get to something that like i just mentioned is a film that i absolutely am going to want to see on the big screen uh it is the godzilla versus kong trailer that just dropped uh felt like a ufc hype video uh, when it landed it landed <laughs> on a sunday and uh and selfishly, uh, for, for cinema blend reasons, traffic went through the roof. I wish more trailers would come out on Sunday. It feels like nothing else is going on. And uh, it, it really captured uh, all the enthusiasm of people on social media. I'll go to Jake first, because you seem really hyped for this. Uh, I am and, and, jacked. Yeah, and the trailer got you even more excited.
3: trailer got me jacked. I, I will admit, the, the two Godzilla films didn't really do it for me. Godzilla hmm. and Godzilla King of Monsters. I thought Kong Skull Island... I think people sleep on that movie, man. That's basically Apocalypse Now with King Kong in it. It is fantastic. How great is the opening with the pilot falling from the sky? And and there there are just some gorgeous shots in it. And this, to me, seems more like that. That I mean, like that, that, just that gorgeous shot, that wide shot of them standing on the aircraft carrier, just slugging it out. I mean, just going at it. That's that kind of to me, and I know that there have been sort of old school King Kong Godzilla movies, but in terms of what we expect from a blockbuster, that, this is one of those movies that falls under that umbrella of like, oh, I can't believe we're seeing this. I can't believe it's happening. Yeah. Um, you know, I look. I will be the first person to admit that, like, the human characters, I mean, you know, we often talk about, like, the junket, and I'm like, who's, like, I don't, I don't even know who's in it. Like, I don't I, like, <laughs> I don't care. I don't yeah. care who's in it. I don't care about the human characters. I just want the two of them beating the crap out of each other. There's a quick glimpse of something in the trailer that I think I saw, which excites me very, mm-hmm. Which you know, I, I don't know if you guys saw, but I don't want to say it out loud for anyone that didn't see it because I don't want to ruin it for you, but I'm pretty sure I saw it, and that excites me. Um but uh you can I, a I, think
0: I think it's getting coverage so I yeah think you could talk is about it, it.
3: like mecha godzilla it's, yeah. it's like like in the, in the opening shot like like you can basically see mecha godzilla everyone's
0: running down the staircase from yes. something, and you can
3: see and it looks like mecha godzilla is going over them which is yeah. leading to a lot of people to believe the theory that um which i hope is not the case which is that kong isn't actually fighting godzilla he's fighting mecha godzilla and that the real godzilla is going to show up at the end and then they're going to team up oh come on
0: i don't want to really all right (laughs) actually sounds cool (laughs) let me take the flip side before i let kevin go because um wait
3: the flip side is in you don't think
0: it looks good while i remain cautiously optimistic for the movie i thought that trailer really sucked what Uh, yeah i thought it was a bad trailer um because it had too much of the humans and and every scene with the humans saying something oh. was just how will we cringe. know it's
3: godzilla unless unless just, someone unless uh, rebecca hall looks at the camera yeah. and says that it's godzilla line, otherwise how will we
4: know that line made me cringe okay like wait a, like uncomfortably <laughs> Let it's, me give no, you it's
3: no worse than and my even
0: my son no, yeah, it's, Kyle it's not a good Chandler, line either. Yeah, yeah, Kyle Chandler running around saying hey, Godzilla hey, hey. is out there hurting people, and we don't know why. Hey,
3: Kyle Stop. Chandler is a goddamn national treasure. You will not, <laughs> you will not besmirch the
0: name of Kyle Chandler. So hold on, and then also, so all every scene with a human is like Roland Emmerich level bad. Like it's just <laughs> bad, and I don't think that the that the monster fighting looks bad. I think that's probably going to be the selling point. But who chose that song? What was that? That song was the lamest song to put on that trailer. So I can even confirm, because I watched it. We got to see it on Friday. They showed it to us early to get our stories ready for Sunday. And How I watched it. did you it,
3: not text us this? Why are we even friends if you're not going to tell us these things?
0: I did, didn't I not? No. I was no. very busy. Um, I watched it and I was like, uh, Really? And so I yeah. watched it again, and I was still like, oh, oh, what? And I, you're right. So a lot of the visuals look great. It does not look like the hidden Godzilla you know, that we got in the first movie. Um, it, it looks closer to like Pacific Rim to me, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Pacific Rim is fine. Um, but on Sunday, when it was getting all this hype and everybody on Twitter was like, this is amazing, I was like, I'm going to watch it without the sound. It's great without the sound. <laughs> like, without that horrible song and without the bad dialogue. People will say
3: that about Real Blend as well.
0: <laughs> yes. So I am, I still think the movie's gonna be fine, and I will, I will go see it on a big screen, and I will. No, you're uninvited. Well, no, you can't stop me from going. I'm going. Well, you've probably already seen it, and you haven't even told us yet. <laughs> I did. They showed it to me last week. Um, I, I thought it was a bad trailer. I thought it was a bad first step forward for, for what could be a fun movie. So we'll see. Kev, Kev, you're in the middle, uh, I think.
4: I'm with you more but I'm also more in the middle too. I actually found um some joy in the in the action. Uh, I thought the trailer was not good though. I mean I I just <laughs> for me it was just uh, there were visuals that were cool like some of the fight scenes were cool but uh, nothing in the trailer from a I don't know again I know this sounds nitpicky but just from a story and a character standpoint I still need it's called Godzilla versus Kong man <laughs> but I need some grounded nature of reality to believe that sequence and, I, and like for example like any and like Kong Skull Island is a great example of a great movie that had great characters that also made the Kong sequences better I mean John C. <laughs> Riley is awesome and Kong Skull Island and so I feel like there's a way to do blockbuster with good acting and good scripts I mean Terminator 2 is probably one of the greatest examples of that of all time big summer blockbuster with a gigantic great script and great performances so I don't know I'm not trying to sit here and like you know this is like fast and furious right like even though like you know it's 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 kind of critic proof in that sense but I I genuinely was not it didn't do anything for me. That's, like, a, that's it, it, a good like,
3: comparison. Maybe because I'm very nitpicky about how ridiculous I think the Fast and Furious movies are, yeah. and how stupid they're. So maybe, maybe this is my Fast and Furious where I just go like, okay, I just like yeah. I, I, I'm enjoying it while
4: also recognizing that it's stupid. I'm all I'm all good with the movie, and I love the I love the idea, and I, and again, the movie could be amazing. I just I'm with you, Sean. Like, I, and I actually felt completely out of the loop when I saw the tweets about everyone like gushing over it I was like did I miss something like, like I, I I did the same thing you did John I watched it three times yeah. and I'm like I'm like what, did, what What am I missing here like like, am I not seeing what everyone else is seeing I just the the Godzilla line that Rebecca Hall says ruined the whole trailer for me <laughs> I mean it, it's, it's, it's a really bad line like, yeah. it, like, like that it's sometime... the equivalent of
3: like in every we always joke about this <sighs> in every Bourne movie there's always someone that looks up at a screen and goes oh my god it's Jason Bourne <laughs>
4: like, 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 like how will we know otherwise yeah, the yeah. subtle the subtlety of godzilla just being on screen without someone telling me he's on screen or she's uh i i, I just again I know, these are all these are such nitpicky yeah. uh persnickety things but we're to, like, reacting to apart, the trailer but,
0: yeah i, I, I just, don't know, there's just a yeah. slew of like legit actors who i just know are not going to get any kind of screen time like Someone was like, I'm just here for Alexander Skarsgård. And I was like, oh, wait, that's right. Alexander Skarsgård's in this? Brian Tyree Henry? I just just saw both
3: of you age 20 years because the childhood-like
4: wonder was just sucked from you. Dude, I'm all in in on childlike nostalgia films. But, like, the last two... The Godzilla film in the last Godzilla film, the one with Cranston, was terrible. Absolutely. They killed, they killed the best actor off in the first 30 minutes of the movie. He was the only reason why Godzilla was going to be an interesting film, I thought. It, it, that was their way of telling us that the actors don't matter. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You're here for the
0: action.
2: Godzilla is out there hurting
0: people. We don't know why. Hey,
3: hey, I will not... Stand by and let you besmirch the name of Kyle Chandler. I want an
0: answer to why he's hurting people. I need the movie to answer this. I hope I'm wrong.
3: I hope it's awesome. That's
5: the new They Fly Now. They Fly Now? (laughs) Don't. Don't. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse.
0: All right. So let's get into the next bit where we're also talking about nostalgia and news that and this is like soft news because Hollywood Reporter came out with a story saying that uh, HBO Max is fielding pitches from writers uh, for a potential Harry Potter live action television series, um, but was very quick to include in that report that like, the studio isn't confirming anything. There's no hard and fast, you know, show in pre-production or any sort of. They're just listening to ideas, which doesn't surprise me in the least bit because it's a franchise that they can, not you know, they need to keep going in some way shape or form. Um but it's fairly interesting in the way that like a Game of Thrones would look to do like a prequel for, you know, to to explore other areas or I saw one people uh, one person put on Twitter they were like this better be about, you know, the story of the Marauders that was teased out in book three. Like, there's a million places you can go with it. Um, First, let me ask you guys, are either of you interested in seeing uh, an exploration of the Harry Potter universe uh, in the way that, like, the Mandalorian is continuing continuing Star Wars lore without having to include, although they are coming around and including, <laughs> most of the people that we know from Star Wars?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think in that sense, I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned from Mandalorian, which is, you know... This is an entire universe, an entire world, right? And not every story has to be epic, world-ending, life and death. Like, there can be some really interesting, small-scale stories. Um, If anything, just like... Daily life of going to that freaking school. Like, what what was that? What was that school like on a Tuesday? Like, you know, like just imagine you could do a whole like high school drama, like a Saved by the Bell at Hogwarts. You know, there. You know, and, and so I think you you scale it back. Like you had the you know you had the the Harry Potter equivalent of Luke Skywalker. You had you had that big story. Scale right. it back. Make it small. Like like use a smaller story as a catalyst to explore this really like you know corners of this really interesting world that we've never seen before.
0: I kind of love that too, um, and I I kind of like the idea. As you mentioned, um, there's so many facets of that world that you can get into without even having to reference uh, the main characters. Yeah. However, isn't that just Fantastic Beasts?
4: I was like, gonna just going to say the same thing. I was like, we've already we've already kind of dived into aspects of that world, and Fantastic Beasts haven't been good. It hasn't caught on good. yet. Movies?
3: No, they're Um, really there. How many have there been? The fact that we're even asking that question is not a good. Two, two, and there were only been two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Oh my god. But that. But I'd like to. I'd like more about Hogwarts, and 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 Fantastic Beast doesn't really have anything to do with Hogwarts. I think. I think exploring the school itself, either either pre or post Potter, I think could be really interesting. And 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 I feel like Fantastic Beast takes away everything that was interesting about Harry Potter and gives (laughs) us the leftovers.
4: If uh, if if HBO if HBO and Warner Brothers were to bring in Alfonso Cuaron mm. to do this series, oh. like that would be cool because like like he was the whole reason why I actually appreciated Harry Potter because like the first two, well you know I like them, they're very you know they're just different style and different tone, and then when Cuaron stepped in and did Azkaban it added such a cinematic value to it. And I'm not knocking Chris Columbus because I actually think he's a great storyteller. I mean, he did Home Alone. And I mean, did he, did he do Mrs. Doubtfire? I mean, he's a, yeah, he did do Mrs. Doubtfire. He's a great yeah. director. I mean, Chris Columbus might be one of the most underrated filmmakers out there because no one really talks about his name. They just talk about the films he made. Um, but if you bring in someone like Quran and give it that depth and that darkness and that, um, to me, what made Harry Potter so interesting was the darkness, was the, was the, the uh it it just it just felt scary it felt Mm -hmm. very scary um and I think Koran was the one who tapped into that for me at least so if you bring someone like that in like a Mandalorian type thing and you have like different massive filmmakers doing like different episodes and their takes on it you gotta have a good showrunner though that's that's why like Favreau and Filoni that's why Mandalorian's so good because you have a showrunner who's deeply uh passionate by the material so as long as there's good people surrounding it, I'm interested in diving into any of that stuff. Of course, makes
0: me wonder if there is a creative out there who loves Harry Potter. I'm sure they do. The way that, like a Dave Filoni, you know, Filoni worships Star Wars. You know, and I'm not quite. I'm just not quite sure that we know of yeah. uh, somebody who has invested in that world. I mean, do you guys? I, I would say I, I like the
3: Harry Potter movies. Um, I like would you guys them. say that
4: you love them? I love three, but my problem with that whole franchise or that whole series of films was the ending. I thought the ending was such a letdown. And again, I didn't read the book. So for me, I spent 10 years watching Harry's um, arc and then finally gets to Voldemort. And then they have like a two second fight and there's like no drop. I mean, here's Here's the deal. And
3: I have the book on myself in, in the book. Like if I remember Right. The battle, like the fight, starts on the right-hand side of the page at the bottom, and you start reading it. You're like, "Oh my god!" And then you flip the page, and it's basically over on the left-hand side at the top. Like it's like that. That's
1: um very fast.
3: That's crazy. Very fast. Like so. And granted, trust me, they changed stuff. I'm not. I'm not defending that aspect of the movie because they could have really. Flushed it out a lot more, but I remember in the book. I remember, in fact, even flipping the page back and going like, oh, "Do I have pages stuck together?" Like that's <laughs> like I thought like I was like there,
4: I would have thought that there was more. It's, yeah. it's like like it's like bottom right, top left. That's Wait, how that's how fast it is. But the way Voldemort dies in the movie is not the way he dies in the book, right? Is it like that simple where he just like? I honestly don't remember, go, but I remember. Like, I, the, I just remember how quick it was. I just remember it being very oh, fast. That I would, I, I, as a non-book reader, that really upset me because I, I was I was invested for ten years. Um, in that story. I mean, I don't know. I saw Gabe shaking his head about, or in a, a positive way about Harry Potter. I, was that not a letdown? I thought that was such a letdown. I, the makeup at the end was terrible too. I cool. think,
5: I think film goers of, of my generation are, are would love, and I'm speaking for myself, I guess, but I think, I think people will love to see a Hogwarts focused. I will just take a, yeah. a fun, a fun series about some random students at yeah. Hogwarts. And it can yeah. just be about being yeah. at Hogwarts because, I grew up with Harry as the movies were coming out. I didn't read the books. I I was just addicted to the movies. Same. But every time the movies came out, I was the same age as Harry throughout his whole education there. So for me, it was this amazing, like, I got to fantasize about going to this crazy magical summer camp kind of thing. So for me, seeing that, I think would be, is enough for me to, like, binge a whole series.
3: Because being, uh, you know, in, in high school... There's enough drama there in and of itself. You take that and multiply it by you're in a magical high school... I mean, they're done like
0: there. Well, there it and is. Let me, let me also.
4: Uh, uh, they need to combine. They need to, they need to bring the Euphoria's Sam Levinson in to do Hogwarts oh, Euphoria wow. style. That would be. <laughs> now, I would watch that in two seconds. Could you imagine they the could, ex- like, what they could do the, with the
0: spells and stuff? The example I'm going to bring up is a little more wholesome. Um, <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we just finished Cobra Kai uh, season three. And it's it's yeah. a terrific way to extend a brand. Like
4: yeah.
0: that show should not be as good as it is, yeah. right? There's just no way. And but I am now far more compelled in the stories of the new characters, the young kids, and and the other people who've been being brought into the narrative, than I even am to all the stuff that felt like it's just there for nostalgic takes. Like there are characters from the main movies that come back now much later and that show in the beginning was like wink wink look who we got hey and now it's like its own thing like now i just care more about the the drama that's happening with the other characters so you absolutely yeah. can can continue on Uh, any type of franchise like this. So, uh, but we're way ahead of ourselves in the fact that, you know, they're just fielding pitches from writers. So hopefully they're listening to this week's episode because we just gave you guys some really great ideas. It's gold, Jerry. I want to talk about the fact that AMC Theaters uh, is reporting now that they have raised more money to keep afloat and they say that they can stay afloat through July of 2021 if nothing comes back. Uh, And if things start to come back towards some form of normalcy, they believe they have enough capital raised uh to get through the end of this year. Uh, so they think they're gonna be able to survive the quote unquote uh winter pandemic uh crunch and and really keep things going. And so I, I'm encouraged by that because I still worry about some of the smaller chains and the mom and pops of the world. Um but anytime that you hear uh, bailout money coming from in any kind of way to keep a major theatrical chain going. Uh, it it restores my faith in the fact that we're going to have uh, an ongoing strong relationship between studios and theatrical distribution, and and I credit the studios that have uh, really thought outside the box. Uh, Warner Brothers, uh, in particular, Universal, in terms of negotiating their window and still maintaining some form of theatrical. Uh, and I, I hope that this means that the light is at the end of the tunnel. Kev, you must have thoughts on this. I'm sure.
4: I mean, it's it's such an interesting thing. I, I've I've actually personally changed a lot from a from a from an understanding of where we are in the world and 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 putting aside my selfish ideas of what the theater experience should be and what I want it to be because you know whether or not where you are it could be changed you might not have the access to a theater so I I'm such a fortunate individual that I have access to these theaters so um I it's it's an interesting thing and I and I and I love that this, this new cycle is keeping the story afloat. I I, I I loved seeing that story because it kind of just made me, like it gave me hope that we're going to continue on because there was a lot of talk about the death of theaters and the death of theatrical. Um, I do, I'm really hopeful and really hopeful that Warner Brothers reverses that decision about the day and date. Um, maybe go two weeks. You know what I mean? That That's, that's still something that I'm really fascinated by as to why Warner Brothers didn't just give them a two-week theatrical run prior to going to HBO Max. And I think Godzilla is a great example of uh, of one that I can't believe will come out on HBO Max in the same day. So yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful, but I, I also feel like we need to all come to an understanding that we're going to have shorter windows. But the day and date stuff, I just can't. I, I'm you know not what, into that.
0: You know what I found really interesting? Because um, I kind of forgot that this was a component of it. Wonder Woman 1984 left HBO Max
4: yeah Mm -hmm. right today right uh, it today today
0: or yesterday yeah whatever uh, we're recording on monday and i think it might have been today i kind of forgot that that was going to happen um yeah and that's that's a little bit cool like maybe maybe shrink that you know like make it available early but then after that if you've waited too long now it's in theaters and you got to go see it. Um, yeah. I don't know if that that helps. I'm not quite sure, but I selfishly kind of just assumed like, oh, I'll be able to put on Wonder Woman anytime I want. Now it's just sitting on HBO Max, yeah. but that is not the case. They're going to r- rotate those things through.
4: Did you guys see the streaming numbers for, for soul? No. Did you see they how released them? Massive. It, like destroyed Wonder Woman. Didn't uh, really. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I'll I'll pull up while you guys continue. I'll pull up the exact numbers, but <laughs> yeah, Jamie Fox posted it on, on his uh, Instagram like 1.9 billion what was the number Jake it was like something insane
3: it was but but also i mean to a certain degree don't i mean and correct me i, I, I mean i obviously i don't have you know i'm not even going to get into like what what the numbers mean or what they don't mean i'm trying, i'm thinking like the logistics of like who's going to be watching what I like it. It, for don't don't a lot of parents just put on disney plus like in the background and like leave like a cartoon on for their kids like isn't that um, one of the appeals of disney plus is you kind of just put on a disney movie and let your kids watch it as opposed to like we're all sitting down to watch a movie together yeah, yeah.
0: for sure and the a rewatch for a kid is so much easier than an adult you know I, i've well, put I,
4: soul on three times since it's come out well because it's tremendous i my... just put it on but like, but <laughs> I, have you
0: sat down and watched it three twice. times
4: No, I watched it once for interviews and then I watched it once again fully Christmas Day. But I like putting the movie on because I like listening to it. I also think Mm -hmm. it's just visually insane. Like like, like when he when he starts going through the montage before the Disney presents starts and it's like Mm -hmm. that, like almost 2001 thing. I'm like, it's mind blowing. It's very good. So, so the number I'm seeing is that
5: during the first week, it was streamed for a grand total of 1.7 billion minutes, which, according <laughs> to IO9, translates uh, into roughly 500 million views of the film.
4: Oh my god! I mean, that's, but that's assuming insane. that's
5: assuming if if some the, everyone streamed all of it, kind of thing.
4: right? Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? What are the parameters? But, but I, I guess one thing I was shocked about was that Soul seemed to have, again, according to that, bigger streaming numbers than Wonder Woman. And, am I wrong? And am, am I? understanding that wrong or that's a pretty I big deal. I
0: don't know if Warner Brothers or HBO Max has released official numbers. Have yeah. yeah, what
5: I'm seeing here is this is a story on Saturday. It says uh, Wonder Woman 1984 Nielsen, who's who's doing these ratings, um, has not yet added HBO Max to its chart system. So but, we and, don't have. and
0: as amazing as those numbers are, you know, we we'll still go back to Pete Doctor saying on our on our show that Soul is the first movie from Pixar that didn't get a theatrical run, and yeah. he's bummed about that. So so they, they didn't get they didn't get day and date with that. Pixar, no. Soul never Disney went to theaters. News. Nope. Everyone oh wow no it only stayed on, HBO, on i uh, assumed it went to
4: theaters for like the same yeah.
0: day wow um i didn't tell you guys this either too i got a, a phone call from disney so I, for people who are listening i'm going to be hosting uh or moderating uh a soul uh conversation with pete doctor and kemp powers um and they called awesome. me to tell me that um they think resner and uh atticus ross are joining joining the conversation so dude you gotta um, bring up the nine inch nails excited. thing
4: Bring up the okay. Nine Inch Nails Easter okay. egg. Remember, yeah, there's a Inch well. Nails store. Uh, yeah,
0: on the hardware store. So, you gotta bring. So that. Hopefully, oh. uh, hopefully that'll become something available that people can watch after the fact. So,
4: I would. Oh, uh, let me get out out to talk our to next
0: topic of conversation, which is dragging us closer to the uh, the awards race and the existence of a Best Picture uh, field of of films that are competing. This is the AFI uh, traditional annual uh, listing of the ten best films of 2020 plus a few. (laughs) Jake, why are you shaking your head already?
3: Because there's a movie on their list that's not even out in 2021 yet. Judas and the Black Messiah? Judas and the Black Messiah is not even out in 2021. It is not one of the best films of 2020. It did not come out in 2020. Stop doing this.
5: It is very true. It did according to the Academy.
3: It did not. It's not <laughs> according out. to the academy.
5: According, according to the academy, well, we'll no, the academy
3: changed their windows. Now, Again. so did now, AFI, if, a, if AFI wants to say apparently. it's one of the best films of this 14-month stretch, cool. But that's but a don't really don't long say, title
5: to put on a trophy. But, you know,
3: this don't is... say it's one of the best films of 2020. Don't do it. But that's what they did.
0: All right. So anyway, let me read you the 10. <laughs> And, uh, and you guys can tell me. I don't if, know why it, this
3: bothers me so much, but it just. <clears throat> oh, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a paper cut on my soul.
0: This one in particular really does come across in the way that you've singled out that one guy who included a movie as his number one, which didn't even open this year. Well, it is when, AFI. When you, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this, when you put Judas in the Black not Messiah, me. it doesn't bother you that it's listed as the best movies of 2020.
4: I think it doesn't. I understand Jake's frustration with the idea of like what the top ten lists and like not including a film that came out in 2021. But I'm also like I'm in a weird vibe where like Judas and the Black Messiah and films like Cherry or like those in my mind are just registering as 2020 films. Like they're just I, because of I, I think I've I think I've gotten used to the fact that the Oscars are extended. From a from mm. our did, period um, of time, so
3: I. Did, but 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 eligibility has nothing to do with the calendar, with with the did, lunar freaking calendar. Did Judas did Judas
5: play on any um, at any festival? So we can lower no. Jake's nope. blood pressure. No, nope. not even. Do, like,
3: that's why, why if it, if it were just like Nomadland and Minari, like whatever, I've moved on. Like I've accepted that this is the world in which we live. But freaking Judas, like like we all just started getting screeners for Judas and the Black Messiah like we all just
0: also it's tremendous like i'm not oh, it's if, fantastic. this is not the quality and it's of very the very likely to be on my best of 2021 <laughs> list
3: you know why because it came out in 2021
4: yes stupid question i don't know if we already answered this on the show and, and then we'll move on um how does this change oscars going forward like what's 2022 oscars is it is it just my is blood it just pressure is going to be period? through the roof for a three-month yeah, period yeah, yeah. of every every eighth month? year
0: Kev, this is part of why we were arguing that it should have never changed because yeah. some it didn't do anything. In some year, they're yeah. going to have to recalibrate it, and then it'll be for a shortened period of time. Unless mm. they just say from now on, for, from now forever, the period is going to be February to February.
4: Oh my yeah. god! What's the cutoff? It, What's the cutoff this year? February twenty eighth, and oh, then they're going to. Ma- I looked at the dates this bad. year.
0: They're going to make the nominations on March the fifteenth.
4: All right, so Back we're two months up. ahead. All right.
0: oh. Yes. All right. So here are the 10 AFI films. Uh, tell me if you guys have any beef with any of these outside of Judas. Uh, Defy Bloods, Judas and the Black Messiah, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, Minari, yes. <clears throat> Land, One Night in Miami, Soul, Sound of Metal, and The T- Trial of the Chicago 7.
4: Man, Kemp Powers is just killing it this year.
0: Killing it. Somebody Get has tweeted... Too- and I never thought about this, has anyone ever been nominated for Best Original Screenplay and Best Adapted Screenplay? Because oh, he has a chance for getting that Oh, wow. I didn't even yeah. think of...
4: Wait, oh, because he adapted his own material. Mm. Yes. Oh, yeah. wow. So he I could get Miami
0: and Seoul, uh, and which would be amazing. Um, so this leaves off uh, Promising Young Woman is uh, one film that did not make the cut. Uh, people are pointing out that News of the World also didn't make it. I'm not quite sure that News of the World is um, getting as much buzz as all the films I just mentioned. Um, And Netflix has one, two, three, four of the top ten. Wow. And Amazon Studios has one. Oh, Amazon Studios has two. Sound of Metal and One Night in Miami. So that means uh, six of the ten are um, streaming services.
4: I have a hot take. I don't understand the universal love for Nomadland. I don't either. I thought it was an interesting experiment. I thought it was a very... Touching film. I understood yes. the arc, and I and I got that Francis McDormand was great in it. I don't understand the the hype surrounding it, and I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something, but like like every other film on here, I could I can understand. Nomadland, I just I thought was oak oh, was good. It was. Yeah, I think it's very good. Where, where um, are you guys at on that?
3: I like it. I, yeah, I think it's. I think you know. I. It's uh, good. I. uh... I went into it thinking, like, okay, this could be a top – because by the time I saw it, people were already kind of starting to put it on their top ten list. Um, yeah. So I kind of went in thinking, you know, it's, it, it feels like a documentary. Um, it mm-hmm. feels like you're kind mm-hmm. of just dropped into this world, and then David Strathern
4: shows up, and then you step out. <laughs> yeah, um, he, that ruined it for me a little bit. Yeah. I agree. And I,
0: I can make an argument for – all nine other films on this list of why I would be super passionate about. Though
3: them. on the flip side of that, you know, a lot there, you know, the movie that, that at least Sean and I love, I think Kevin, you're, you're hit, hit miss about that has gotten a lot of hate. I feel like it's Chicago seven for every person I that, really? loves Chi- for every person that loves Chicago seven, there are people that hate Chicago seven. I liked it a lot. I did not love it though. I had problems he, with it.
0: Because of the sorkiness of it all. I like, guess so. For, yeah. There's
3: a, there's a yeah. lot of sorkiness. Um, a lot of people say that it, it in a way it sorkinizes, um, very important parts of history and kind of uh, you interesting. There, I saw there. It, it is the movie that I think a
0: lot of people are cheering. Like, oh, that movie better not win Best Picture. And Kev, you just wanted a better director, essentially.
4: Yeah, I, th- or, I thought I, I really thought that Trial of the Chicago Seven could have been a better film. And I think uh, I think Sorkin it's a very good movie. I mean, we're talking about like some, I gave the movie like a four out of five. I mean, like I I liked the film a lot, but I don't, I I just didn't love it. The one film on this list that really made me happy was, was Sound of Metal because Mm -hmm. I was late to the party on that. Jake was, I know you guys all saw it um, sooner or earlier than I did. Um, But I'm really hoping that that film continues uh, into the Oscar season. I know Riz Ahmed definitely will, but Mm -hmm. I would like to see it get a best picture nomination. I'm very fascinated by that film i, I was mm. I, I just hope i hope it has legs and i feel like with lists like this yeah. um that's one of those films that is like very on the line of like is it because that could have been news of the world like you said it could have been sure. uh Prom- any, well, any, promising any,
0: young woman i'm really surprised promising young woman i
4: rewatched really that um, last is, night it's phenomenal
3: is make like gonna get i, I kind of felt like make was kind of falling off this um,
0: was a boost for it that's for sure yeah sure. I don't know what the correlation is between AFI and Best Picture. Like, I'd have to go back and check and see, like, how many of their top 10 really line up with, yeah. you know, 10 best. Here's a question. Soul is on there. Uh, is Soul going to get a Best Picture nomination? Absolutely. Yes, 100%. You think so? It will,
3: it will not win Best Picture, but it will get a okay. Best Picture. It's, it's th- not out of the realm of, like, uh, uh, many Pixar <laughs> films have gotten Best Picture nominations. Like, that's, that's not a oh my God, like, unbelievable
4: Seoul mm-hmm. soul has a chance though to win best picture no right now will, uh, soul will not win best picture all right today's january 25th if okay. the oscars happen tomorrow what's your prediction for best picture i don't know i, <laughs> so. I probably
0: would lean toward something more like a nomadland or minari
4: I would, I would
3: say a nomad. I, you know, I honestly think that Judas is going to cool. start gaining traction as more and more people see it. Judas it is
4: phenomenal. I just I think, and that honestly,
3: between if, if we're talking so between Judas or Minari or Nomadland, I'd rather Judas win Best Picture. Yeah. I but right now, I kind of like that we don't have a Best
4: Picture frontrunner.
3: We yeah, don't. but I gotta be honest, like I, we don't have a Best Picture frontrunner. But I'm not like super passionate about like like last year. Oh my God! How much I wanted Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to win Best Picture. Like, yeah. oh my God! Like, I, I was like, like that is the hill. I, I was like championing like with like my late Miss <laughs> flag swinging it back. There's not really a movie this year where I'm like, oh, like I'm just sort of like. Eh, we'll see, I, yeah, we'll see what happens. See, it, for me
0: it would be Soul, but I just don't I don't think they're ready to give a, a best picture win to, a, and to an because, animated It's because like film. we
3: talked about I um, with Pete I... Doctor, it's because they've created the category. The that category. category will prevent an animated film from ever winning best picture. See, but I'm like Kevin think in Soul that
0: could win. Up till this point, this feels like the only the, the first movie that has a legit shot uh of, yes. of getting over that hump.
3: Y'all want to watch another Human Centipede film, dude? It's beloved. Cause I, cause I, I'm, I'm down to make a bet. <laughs> oh no! Okay, no, I'm I'll down never to make do a that bet. again. All
2: right, Jake. I'll never so, do so that you're again.
4: Jake. You're on the air tomorrow, and you're doing your prediction for Best Picture. You're looking Ooh, at the nominee. Let's early. say. The, let's say. Let's say the nominees. I, I, it's say, it's,
3: look, it's different to say what's gonna win versus what's not gonna win. It's a lot know, easier
4: to say what's not gonna win. Let's say the nominees for Best Picture are mirror the AFI um, list. Sure. If you were to pick one that would win, just based on where we are right now on January 25th. Which one of those you think has the most momentum? Hold on, Uh, I would say Soul. I lost my list.
3: I I I would say Nomadland, but then again, also, but we also forget that oftentimes critics' lists has nothing to do with the with the Academy whatsoever. Which is also Mm -hmm. why, which is why I'm arguing against myself. Which is also why I feel like Nomadland might not be the champion that we all think it is, just because it you know was doing well with. Which is why I think it could end up being Judas. Here's you know my theory I,
4: on why Soul. I, I'm sorry, Sean, Go ahead.
0: I my one personal thing I'm going to cheer for is a director nomination for Emerald Finale. For
4: I, I can you see you getting so? a nomination, dude.
0: I can see you getting a nomination. I can see. I can see you getting a nomination. I don't know. I don't know.
3: I, I think she has a better shot at a screenplay nom than a director nom. Maybe it's, I don't know. I would question. see them giving her. Um,
5: with the within the director's guild like the what well, i forget what they call it the new director rising coming star director. but i feel like there are yeah. a lot of
3: new uprising like i feel like even that yeah. category is tough yeah. this year there are a lot of big kind of hell you could give it to regina king if you wanted to regina king know. is 100
4: percent getting nominated i think she is too that's not a question yeah i, I mean what think. she was able to pull off in a you know it's with incredible. a room of you know it's
0: kev what were you gonna say sorry
4: Oh no no! I, it, I, my theory about why I think Soul might has has the chance of winning is that it's not only a successful successful film. Obviously, uh, it's it's critically beloved, like and genuinely beloved. Like, by, but by, by, by I don't know anybody that I've met who doesn't like that movie. Um, yeah. And it's also a great film. And I it's interesting. I, I mean, with with a year like 2020, just like of all the things that happened that were so unprecedented. I I just think like, you know, maybe maybe I think we're in a different world now. I really do. I think that we I think our our I could see things like that happening. It sounds like so it sounds like it'd be so out of the norm, but
0: I
3: think the same thing happens with Soul that happens with Roma, which is like, hey, we gave it we gave it best foreign film. You want foreign film and best picture? I think Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. I think they're gonna give it animated film and then give Best Picture to live action. I I, I hate to be the, the pessimist. But I, I feel like that is very much in the in the realm of what the academy does. Like they say, here you go. <laughs> yeah. Like here's your here's your Oscar, and they could I even know. give it score, and they could give it. It could walk away with the screenplay. Could, you know, they're, 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 they could end up winning three, four Oscars. But best picture ain't going to be one of them. All right, I'm feeling first.
0: I'm hey, dude! It. I will happily you... bet a human centipede on it's it. Very no, it's too early. Stop, stop, stop! stop. It's too if early. If
3: you believe in Sean, it, I, I, I believe Sean... enough to, to make my bet. <laughs>
4: Nothing's even nominated yet. <laughs> <Without> <laughs> you're making <laughs> human centipede bets, Sean. All I right. think you're feeling it. I think you're feeling it.
0: I am. I, 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 I want to see how it. many He's nominations the, it the, gets the event tonight. I will
5: get behind in. Kevin that if any year as an animated Pixar movie going to win Best Picture, it's this year because the competition is, is not as great.
3: Well, since we're just throwing random ass movies from whatever year, can we can like Toy Story get nominated? Because like, sure, apparently you don't need yeah, to yeah, have come yeah. out within this window to actually win an Oscar
0: this year. That'd be great. All right. This week in movies. Uh, there's a limited film that is opening up called Supernova. And I believe that's the one with Stanley Tucci. And, and Colin Firth. Colin Firth. Uh, yep.
4: Both of you guys have seen this? Jake saw it. I'm watching it. Tomorrow morning.
0: Are you able to talk about it, Jaggy?
4: Well, it comes out Friday, so
3: I would imagine so. Why yeah. not? Game on. Um, How is it? <laughs> you know, the performances are absolutely incredible. For people that don't know what the film it is about um, uh, Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth are a, a longtime couple. They've been together for a long time. And Stanley Tucci is starting to feel the effects of uh, dementia. Oh, and that's he's sad. At that. they're at that point in their relationship where they're kind of like, they're, they're they're on a road trip together and they're kind of you know hitting you know family members and kind of it, it's almost a goodbye tour you know they you, it's it a lot of stuff is unsaid but you know a, you know a lot of times they'll they'll leave someone and it'll kind of the the look on Stanley Tucci's face is like you know he he makes several references to pretty soon not only am I not going to know who you are I'm not going to know myself to not be able to know who you are I mean it's oh, it's boy. just it's a it's a, a it's a heartbreaking idea um, the, the performances between the two of them, I mean, I am, was thoroughly convinced that these are two men that have been in a relationship for years. Like, mm-hmm. they, it just felt like we were dropping out of this relationship. Um, I was really into it. The final act left me wanting more. Mm-hmm. I felt like it got me to the one yard line and wasn't able to get me into the end zone. Interesting. Um, yeah. but, you know, that, that's a, as far as I'll say without, without obviously ruining anything. Um, but, I mean, it is a tour de force for performances. It's, it's only 90 minutes and it's worth watching just if only for two of the best actors working today delivering yeah. two of their best performances in a long time.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Okay, yeah. I mean that that alone gets me in, you know, yeah. even if even if you say that it it falls a little bit short of its goal, Why is it called i would watch supernova. Those two.
3: Uh so Stanley Tucci is um is fascinated with the stars and he's very much, you know, they everywhere they go, they bring their telescope and they're always looking at the stars and kind of like that's sort of a theme of um you know it's it's it, a lot of there's a lot of uh, astrology themes that tie into the
0: humanness of of the story at any point does pete davidson sing the tucci gang song he does not he does uh, not though speaking of uh,
3: pete davidson i do want to watch that interview that he did with glenn close which I do is just do. the actor on actor
0: it seemed like which, a, very which is odd a, kind of a brilliant pa- i'd say it's <laughs> odd but it's also
4: weirdly brilliant in a way i yeah, they did one with he
0: recommended it
4: i don't know they, they, do, they didn't Affleck do it with um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. That was like oh, like they're they're really? pairing them like very differently. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 crazy. I um Jake, anything Oscar wise for Supernova? I could see um I I
3: I could see Tucci potentially going in for supporting actor. Um, I think first they're pushing for actor, and I feel like it's just too crowded of a. I mean, in, in a lesser year, he might be like the fifth man, and you know. Uh, both of the performances are very understated um and uh and, and ironically i think firth has what i would refer to as like the oscar moment mm. stucci's performance is very very subdued um but but very layered uh it, it, if you someone came from the future and told me that tucci got a supporting actor nomination it would not surprise me in the least bit and i would go well deserved
0: you know um since this is a competitive field why don't they just wait till next year you know, Don't just, just. I was they... gonna
5: ask this, but we had moved on. How, like, are, what if no film that got released this calendar year gets a major award? Are they gonna be like, man, I really wish I had been a part of that seven month so, window? So, when they say, and the, and the best,
3: and the best picture of January and February twenty twenty one is, <laughs> yeah. It's like just, a, it, I know in the grand scheme of what's going on in the world yes. it's so insignificant, but it oh, just really driving
1: is. me it, it doesn't driving matter. Me
0: insane. It's driving it me insane. It is driving me insane. I, I am stunned we've spent this amount of time talking about it. That's how <laughs> irrelevant it actually is. Uh, the dig is coming to Netflix. Who's seen it? The dig? Don't not even know not it is. No uh palmer which i believe has justin timberlake it in does it. and ironically i it's so so obvious. so i'm just gonna give
3: a little behind the scenes story we get offered obviously we get offered interviews a lot you know and uh, and and it's so funny i i texted kevin the other day because i felt like every 20 minutes i was getting offered someone from palmer that like yeah. wasn't justin timberlake and finally i just emailed him back and said like guys like is Timber like doing anything? Like, and <laughs> finally I texted Kevin. I go like, I have gotten offer like to the point where it was seriously. I I, I want to say it was like five different interview opportunities right, for Palmer, right, right. and none of them
4: were Timberlake. And finally,
3: right. I, was, I was like, Kevin, like, have you heard anything? Like, it just it got to the point where I was like, what
4: What the hell is going on with Palmer? Just giving Timberlake yeah. already. It was like four what? separate emails with yeah. everybody else in the film except for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's a lead
0: though, isn't he? He's a lead, and the poster is his giant head. Right. <laughs> wow. That's, a, that's how much confidence they feel about that. Gabe is messaging me. Hold on. Let me go over to this chat. I was letting see. you know
5: The Dig. I was also not familiar with it. It actually has a stacked cast, so I wanted you to quickly... I sent you the IMDb link. Is it the one with Ray Fiennes? Ray Fiennes, Carrie Mulligan. I've Melligan, seen the trailer for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy James. We kind of dismissed it, but I, it has a cast that's worth us at least discussing that it exists.
3: I've
4: never heard of this yeah.
3: movie. I saw the trailer. I, they did a junket already. Oh. Huh. For people that also a little bit more behind the scenes stuff, um, and for people that you know maybe wonder why we see some Netflix stuff and not others, Netflix has just so much material. They have so many TV shows and movies and stuff that they really do play it fairly, and that not not one journalist gets access to everything. Um, and so, you know, there'll be a lot of times where there'll be three or four Netflix junkets happening in a week, and I won't even know about it until I see a friend of mine post a screenshot from their interviews. Or we might get, you know, uh, you know, Kevin and I were lucky enough to get, you know, Malcolm and Marie. And I know a lot of people that were like, oh, I didn't even know that was happening. You know, so so, you know, if you're ever wondering, wait, how have they not seen Sean? How have they not seen this Netflix or that Netflix thing? None of us get to see 100 percent of all of their stuff. Right. We just don't. And, and, and right. I think. I actually respect them for that in that I think it's nice that not everyone bats a thousand with them.
0: Yeah. Okay, you might respect them. I wish they were a little bit more upfront about stuff because they're, like,
3: they're, In the sense that we, we have no idea the rhyme and reason to how they choose who gets correct.
0: what. Yes. yes. And even if you got a little... And this is really inside baseball, but just a little bit of like, hey, I can't get you on this one, but like, I'll get you on the next one sort of yeah. deal. Um, yeah. But there's so... Yeah. Uh,
3: and, and, and it's tough to be, especially with the three of us, and it's nice when all three of us get something. Like all three of us got got Clooney, but it's tough too when two of us get something and one do, and one doesn't. And I know recently Sean was the odd man out, not having gotten Malcolm to Marie. But I don't know if you guys remember, I didn't get Spike Lee for *Defy Bloods*, and oh, that excellent. sucked. That sucked not getting, you know, because that, that was a moment where the, where the, the, the protests were happening around I me. Mean, that was a, an interview that, that was valuable, not just for the quality of the film, but for what was going on in this country. So, it, 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 you know, in, in terms of our podcast, it can suck when two of us get something and one of us don't.
0: So I want to mention The Dig really briefly. Um, it's based on a novel. Uh, it's about uh, a 1939 excavation of Sutton Hoo, which I'm not quite sure what that is. But Gabe is right. Uh, the cast is very stacked. It has Carey Mulligan, Ray Fiennes, Lily James, uh, Johnny Flynn, and Ben Chaplin. Um, and so it is going to be on Netflix on the 29th. We so might it looks dig like it, a, you
3: know? A
0: period piece. I like uh, that it, one,
3: actually. It's a pro- promising
0: young feature uh, for Carey Mulligan, and uh, we'll see how... Uh, was, yeah, that, it goes. was that a young uh, feature...
4: Is that a pun or an unintended pun? I
0: really, oh, I okay. Uh, so that brings us to the little things. The latest film from John Lee Hancock starring a, a stellar cast. And Kevin, I want you to kick off with telling us about interviewing all three of those Oscar winners uh, in one room. So we, we talk a lot about our junkets and pairings a lot on this show and how odd they might be. Uh, Kevin got Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, and Rami Malek all together in one room which uh, terrifies me because a lot of times with a pairing, you can at least understand how to play all of them off of each other. But that one is really hard because all of their interview styles are completely
4: different. Oh, and and anybody on here who knows who's interviewed Denzel Washington, you know how incredibly like animated he is. And Rami Malek is a little more subdued. And, and then Jared Leto is could be one way or the other depending on the day he's he's having yeah, yeah. um that was uh, that that was a and again i, I just want to clarify i was very thankful to get them um sure. but that was a very stressful interview for me like, <laughs> like i didn't sleep the night before really that much i was like very because you have to understand like that in, in that situation by the time i had gotten to that interview their day was delayed i think i had three minutes or three and a half minutes oh in, my, total because what wait how for, long how long was your tape so uh, I'll, I'll explain it. So basically, uh, I was given a five-minute slot. And when I went into the room, I, I, I didn't know anything about, like, where, if anything had been uh, changed or timing it had been changed. I, I, and I remember asking my first question. And then right as Denzel Washington was answering it, I got the two-minute warning. Oh! Uh, my and oh, so, wow. makes my, oh, that makes my stomach hurt. So oh, then, awful. That, that gives I'm, me anxiety just, like, hearing it because you need something dude, from all three of them. I, I so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, wait, I have two minutes left. Thankfully, <laughs> Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto's answers to the first question were short enough mm. that left me a minute left to ask them one more question that they all three could answer. Mm. Smart. And smart. so I think my tape ended up being like 4:30. But okay, I, and I, and I'm I'm on you know I'm, I'm airing this thing and I, I'm I'm actually trying to explain explain to my audience this morning. I'm like. Let me explain how this works, okay? I'm on a Zoom with three Oscar winners okay. for less than five minutes, and they all somehow have to answer, and it has to feel like some type of engaging conversation. Right. Um, and for me, it was just like, when it ended, I, the interview ended, I remember the interview ending, and I, te- I texted you guys, I'm like, like, I, I don't know how that went because I just felt like numb. because I, I wasn't yeah. sure what like like what was good, what was bad. Like, yeah. did that go good or did I just completely mess up or did that? You know right. what I mean? So um, that was a very stressful situation. And again, no complaints whatsoever. Um, but to have those three on one call for five minutes or less um, was a very daunting task. <laughs> I, I will say that. And, and, and again, very lucky to have gotten them. Even a minute with those three is amazing. But yeah. it, was, it, it, it was a very, and I'll give Warner Brothers credit. Like, the, you know, the connection was great. It looked great. They sounded great. They were cool. They gave great answers. Um, mm-hmm. But from a, from a logistics standpoint, from my, my head going to bed that night, like, who do you start with? who do you go like you know who who answers what if the, if rami's answer is uh, is way too long does jared not get to answer like like that's yeah. all going through your head right. and like these interviews aren't natural conversations they're timed they're structured yeah. all the while get, you have someone going right you got to get a good soundbite you know you want denzel to talk you want all of them to talk um, and like there it, it, that is like our jobs are very interesting because I don't think people understand the mental gymnastics that goes on in our minds while we're in the middle of these. And it's, it's not just like I'm popping on a zoom on a, you know, on a Saturday to talk to three Oscar winners. It, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. You guys all know, we all, we all prep so much for this stuff. Um, okay. and it goes by in one second. Um, and I, I got the Raptors now, just like I got on the interview. That's <laughs> ah,
0: awesome. <laughs> I'm going to mention that, um, I liked the film. Uh, I understand it is, uh, it's very much a procedural uh serial killer crime thriller and it has a bunch of twists and turns i liked the chemistry between denzel and rami malik as the uh veteran uh officer who's been through denzel plays a veteran guy who's been through some tough cases is getting demoted because of this rami's the new up-and-comer with all these different uh t- uh tactics about how they would track down a serial killer um we had as you heard in our conversation a lot of this discussion about how you bring jared into that because you know he's part of the film but is he the villain is he not how do you play off of that um i i, I thought it was interesting i i enjoyed it i liked some of john lee hancock's decisions the way through it i think it's perfectly fine for uh an hbo max um screening while you're sitting at home jake you are shaking your head Did i you i
3: think it is not a good movie i, I thought a drug it, I, th- I felt like there were so many moments where I kind of did the thing on my with my remote to see how much longer it had left. Oh uh, I feel like Denzel phones it in. I feel like Rami is incredibly miscast in that in that part. Uh, Jared is far and away the best part of the movie, and it doesn't show up until an hour over an hour in. It's, um, it's a long I just time. It, it felt like I mean I I didn't realize until our interview that uh, that John Lee Hancock wrote it. 30 years ago, kind of honestly, and it feels like it because it kind (laughs) of feels like maybe this was fresh 30 years ago, but we've seen the same and better, uh, in, in those 30 years. And, uh,
4: I just felt like maybe it should have stayed on the shelf. All right, Kev. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, uh, I guess I'll use the word lukewarm. Um, it's like, and that's not really a, uh, a a good thing to say about a film. I, I think that the film has a lot of good qualities, but the first half is just, it just, drags like it is when jared leto shows up the film sparks like he's Mm. so great in it like like i mean like that performance the 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 mystery of his character and for me it was interesting like i kind of had the same thing jake where i was like i like shifted gears like first half i'm like all right wow this is like not really that engaging like what's going on here and then when he shows up and they start playing with that aspect of the character then I got, then I started feeling myself become immersed, right? I was like, but it was little, t- too little, too late, I guess. I guess I would say in the sense that I, I was, it's not a bad movie. It's just not a good movie. It's, it's just very, it felt middle of the road, which is strange to say, considering the talent involved. I mean, like John Lee Hancock, you know, as a director, I'm. you know, Blindside was good. Little, 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 um, I would say a little, uh. It was good. It was very good. Um and I thought Bullock was great in it. But I don't know that is, is he a great director? Um and I, I guess my question would be like you know, obviously he's a great writer and you know, Spielberg was attached to it and, 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 and there's great things in it. Um <laughs> but it just didn't feel it didn't move. And it was like and, and and there was elements where it was trying to be seven and you know, Jake and I were you were discussing that. Um but Leto's great and but you're right, like uh Denzel's Washington's performance Unfortunately, it was forgettable, and I mean, we've seen him. You know, I, I, I was kind of like, it almost felt like I was like three Oscar winners in yeah. one movie, and, it and he and he can well. do
3: a good cop procedural. Like Fallen is a great Denzel cop procedural film. I'll if you've ever yeah. seen it,
0: one of those Oscar winners might not necessarily have. Earned their Oscar. If you know see, what I'm I'm just hear you say that about Denzel
4: Washington? <laughs> if you
0: know what I'm saying,
4: see, this podcast, uh, the one of the clear divides in this podcast is yeah. Rocketman and Bohemian Rhapsody. I yes. love Bohemian Rhapsody. I liked Rocket Man, but I didn't love it. And I think we, we we all are on that same like. Sean and Jake loved Rocket Man. Thought Taron Egerton was amazing. I think Rami was phenomenal in Bohemian Rhapsody. I was right. so blown away by it. So- but but little things like, like I think the best way you put it was. If you watch it on HBO Max in your home, you're gonna go, cool. Yeah, that's,
0: that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, so clearly, you guys are not picking it for Denzel Washington blend, which is our <laughs> blend game this week. Uh, Jake, I'll start with you. What will you pick for your favorite Denzel Washington film? Not best. Sure.
3: And 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 favorite. this is a perfect example of an actor where you have to differentiate favorite and best. Yes. Um, I find no more joy. Than watching him in Training Day, and oh. I know I know it's such like a cliche answer, mm-hmm. but great he just tears into the role of Alonzo unlike anyone else could possibly do. Yep, uh, I I mean it is one of the villains that I find the most joy in just watching. And here's oh, yeah. the thing: is that Ethan Hawke. Is also fantastic, and and you could argue like really does a pretty damn good job of like keeping up with him. I mean, he got an Oscar nomination. That scene where Ethan Hawke's in the bathtub and they have the shotgun to his face and he screams, "I have
4: a little girl!" Like that's
3: a great. <laughs> that's the scene. best scene in
4: the movie from a performance but, standpoint. Yeah, but
3: Denzel at the end, like mm-hmm. like King Kong ain't got shit on me, like which he made up. Uh, just that I I love watching and and every sometimes like it's on HBO Max like but, long, but like a couple of weeks ago I just pressed play and just watched it for 30 minutes just because and you know what's so fun about this part there are so many little moments that if you're watching him in the background he's planning this day the whole mm. time or very mm. early in the film he's on like the focus is on uh, Ethan Hawke and Alonzo is on the phone and you hear as he's hanging up you hear him say all right get that bathtub ready and that's at the beginning of the film Talking to the guys, that are gonna like like blow his brains out, and like there's so many little things. At one point, he uh, gets a you know they get a menu at the very beginning. It's on the windshield, and he says, "Put that in the glove box. We're gonna use it later." And they use it as the warrant to give uh, the, mm. the mm. fake warrant to crash it. Like there's so many little things. He is you know to to use the the cliche like like everyone else is playing checkers and he's playing chess. Mm. He is a brilliant character, uh, and and the way he plays it, it's just so much fun and it looks like he's having fun it mm. really does look like he's having a blast playing that role and when mm-hmm. Denzel's having
4: fun we're all having fun funny Pictures? enough like the, the, the chess checkers thing is a cliche but isn't that line isn't that from I mean, training for I mean, day I was, is it a I, I, yeah I, I'm pretty is, sure is, I, I, was, I, thought I thought
3: it was a Denzel line but I couldn't remember where it was from I think, I, he, I, says, I think he said
4: something about like, like
3: like this is chess it ain't checkers
4: right he yeah, says yeah, that yeah, in the movie yeah. which is really yeah. funny yeah Kev what's your pick uh, oh, training. It's so funny because training day is such a I agree with Jake on the fact that it's like there's something really weirdly fascinating about watching that performance because it's so explosive. Mm-hmm. It's also like a very like it, it's the same reason why I like watching like something like and again, this is not comparing these performances, but like a Carrie Mulligan and promise a young woman. You just don't know what they're going to do. Like they're, mm-hmm. it's so like like you don't know what they're going to do. And I, I feel like when an actor creates an unpredictable environment in a scene that that they've succeeded. My favorite ever for him is Man on Fire. Um, primarily because it has my favorite Denzel like line, which is the I wish you had more time line, but also like that whole arc. I rewatched it actually over the weekend. Um and Tony Scott spends over forty-five minutes before we get to any drama hmm. building Creasy's storyline with Dakota Fanning. Um and like you you, you stop, you, you look back on Man of Fire and you go, all right, that was a really cool revenge film. Denzel was great. There was some really cool action scenes and things like that. But you forget how much story billing goes into that first 45 minutes where we have to care for his character and care for her. And I think a lot of what makes Man on Fire great for me is it has the amazing, like, badass Denzel one-liners, um, but it also has a great, genuine heart to it. Like, Creasy is a phenomenal character. He's so layered um, and walking. Though, and I'll, I'll end on this when, I think I've said this before, but the line when, I think he goes into that older guy's apartment. He's about to blow the um, uh, grenade out the window or the rocket launcher. And the guy's like, don't you believe in forgiveness? And what does he say? He goes, that's between them and yeah. God. I just arranged it's my the job to arrange the meeting. <laughs> I mean, what was what, the walk in line? Creasy's art is death. He's about to paint his masterpiece. I mean, that movie is a masterpiece. I, I think that has got to be my all time favorite Denzel performance.
0: Nice. All right. I went with Crimson Tide, um, which yeah. is just, just... <laughs> Tony Scott. Here's why I went with Crimson Tide. Um, More often than not, when you watch a Denzel movie, he's the best actor on the screen. Mm. Uh, And you kind of accept that. And it's fun when other people rise to his level. um, But it's Denzel and everyone else for the most part. Uh, Crimson Tide, it's Gene Hackman and Denzel, you know, trying to rise to his level. And I've talked about this at length on the show multiple times. I just love watching actors go after each other. Like I almost went with Fences uh, because of him and Viola Davis. Um, I I get so much out of just watching tremendous actors rise to the material. But but Crimson Tide is a better story to me than Fences because I also just love the like the situation that they are in. Like they're not sure which which of them is right, and you don't know the whole time which of them is right, and your your allegiance shifts multiple times and. The, the setting of a submarine is tense enough as it is. Uh, it makes me uncomfortable. But to see those two go toe-to-toe uh, is... A, it's a tremendous Denzel performance, but to me, it's one of the... I, I, I'll go back and rewatch that movie a bazillion times. Uh, yeah, Tony Scott. I love and the Tarantino Tony And Tarantino
4: wrote a scene in that movie, too.
0: Oh, did he really? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the exact
4: that. scene, but he has a writing credit, I believe, on Crimson Tide, if you look it up. But I, I, I'm pretty sure, sure it's... I don't remember the exact dialogue but he he did like I think he helped out with some of the script. Did a punch up on that. So yeah.
0: uh audience picks were all over the place. Uh, let's see. Hasim El Hamid said Flight, which I love. I think Flight is a tremendous film. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Randy Buss said Philadelphia. Unbelievably good Philadelphia. Um Michelle Garris went with Malcolm X. Kimberly Sue said remember the Titans. Michael Breen said training day. Carlito Brig- Brigante said fences. Uh, and Isaiah Washington says they're stuck between glory and fences. So unbelievable. I mean, his filmography. Got yeah. I mean, you can. So much love across the board. He,
4: he's the last remaining actor that I think people go to see a movie because it's Denzel's movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, like, you don't think people do that with DiCaprio? I think DiCaprio, yeah, the, DiCaprio's right there. I actually would agree with you, DiCaprio is, I would argue, yes, he's probably yeah. one but of DiCaprio, them, But
3: DiCaprio like, also has, uh, I think, uh, the infrequency in which he puts out movies as yes. to the idea of it's more of an event. Because, like, he doesn't, I mean, Denzel, you're right, has that, that, fo- that following, but he has it despite the fact that he puts out a movie or two every right. year. Look, DiCaprio okay. really only puts out a movie once every couple yeah. of years or so. Look at the equalizer. That's not a yeah. franchise.
4: He and that, and that crushed. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Or, the, or even better, the equalizer too. Yeah. I mean, like I, I guess it's just mm-hmm. interesting to me that like Denzel really still has that star power. I would actually argue that maybe Keanu Reeves might have that. Because John Wick. Maybe. John Wick I think is yeah. he's building back. He definitely yeah. has a
5: um pop culture following People yeah, love sure. Keanu Reeves.
4: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So for next week. We are staying in the so Denzel and Spike have worked together a couple of different times. We're gonna stay Spoiler in the Spike up. Lee realm, uh, and we're gonna play hashtag Terrence Blanchard blend.
1: We're gonna celebrate oh. the music of
0: Terrence Blanchard. Yes. Ooh. So get on board I, with I some like film when we do music. I do too. Yes, and Terrence Blanchard is a genius, uh, and I might have to go with the Five Bloods because he's just that good. Um, I think he did Miami too. Did he do one night in Miami? So
4: Blanchard scored Miami. And yeah. he also scored Spike's Malcolm X wow. film. So he's scored two oh, right. actors who played right. Malcolm X. Um, Kingsley Benadire and now Denzel. Oh,
0: unbelievably good. So get us your pick uh, on social media using hashtag Terrence Blanchard Blend. Uh, that's Terrence with one R and one N. Uh, you can also email us your picks at realblend.com. That's where you can also drop us a review. And this one comes from... Hirok Shah in Australia, who says, great listen, love from Australia. The podcast is so good. The interviews, weekly reviews, deep dive, and occasional banter between the three is amazing. Shocked why the YouTube channel doesn't have as many views despite the great interviews. Well, you know what, Hirok? so am I. And so if you can do me a favor, everybody, if you're listening to this podcast, please go over and give us a like and a subscribe. Go back through some of our old videos as well, too, and check out the old interviews that we have. Bonus episodes. Episode coming up later this week. Oh, we sat down with Delroy Lindo <laughs> talking about uh, uh, Spike Lee and staying in that in that realm. And so um, Kevin and I did an interview with Delroy uh, talking about the Five Bloods and the Oscar race and his performances there. He gave some tremendous, tremendous answers. Just a really heartfelt uh, interview that I think you guys are definitely going to enjoy. And because we have so many, so many good interviews and so much good content coming to the show, we're just going to release that as a bonus episode uh, coming up as well, too. Our next premium episode for people who are subscribing to real premium is going to be the best double features gabe can you clarify that a little bit i'm so excited about this i have
3: my answer i'm so excited i'm keeping it pretty loose you
5: guys don't have to come up with one uh but we're just i think we're just going to talk about double features in general okay um that's a the premium episodes for anyone who doesn't tune in are are great like story time for us so we can talk Mm -hmm. about some some of our favorite double features that we've been to um, but I would love to, at least by the end of it, if you each to, to give us, um, you know, one double feature that you recommend for people, but, but okay. it can be
0: a ton of stuff. Okay, good. And then we'll be back with a regular show next week. So until then follow us on social media at Jake's takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell follow real Blend at, at real blend. And, uh, we'll see you with a new episode very, very soon until then. Don't Hubie. say
4: it. Hubie.
1: Don't uh, say that either. I'll say, I'll say Hubie too. Why not? <laughs> You. Give me! Give me. Okay. <laughs>